is Testimonies of Life and Related Stories, the podcast. We look forward to you being with us as we recount stories of conversion and life experiences as told by those who were there. Welcome to another edition of Testimonies of Life and Related Stories, the podcast. I have with me Paul. Now, Paul and I have a little bit of commonality from our childhood. Paul's sister was in the same class as me in primary school. A lot of years have gone past, mm. and Paul's with me here. We've recently caught up again and have the opportunity to share a little bit about what's happened since those those days. And, and also, in fact, Paul, you're a little bit older than me. You also went to school uh, with my older brother, who's, you know, he's since passed away himself. But um, That's right. Yeah, we were we were bookended there mm. from those times. So, Paula, I'll hand the microphone to yourself, and we're here to talk about your life and you know, your story of conversion or relationship with the one true God. So, it's over to you to to talk through. Okay, thanks, Alan. Well, it, <clears throat> my first experience with God was really when I was six years of age. I was like primary school. And I remember the first recollection is coming back from Sunday school. My parents never used to go to church. My mother, though, forced us, the children to go to Sunday school. So we were, you know, sent to and a little country church. And in those little country towns, you had a Catholic church and a Protestant church. And sometimes we were Baptists, sometimes we were Presbyterians, <laughs> sometimes we were... Uh, assemblies of God, whatever might happen to be in that town, you know. And uh, but I remember the coming back from Sunday school one day, and obviously, uh, whoever was explaining the gospel to a six-year-old really couldn't have done a really good job because I walked home quite disconsolate, thinking to myself that having heard what needs to be done to be a believer, that I could never achieve it you know, to become a Christian, a little boy coming home and feeling, well, that's beyond my ability to to grasp or, or to achieve. And that was in my little heart. But I think God saw that. He heard that. And uh, I think that knowing how uh, tender my life was at that stage, he understood, you know, that there was something in me that was was genuinely wanting to know God but not knowing how. And I think that's true of a lot of people in life, that we go through life many times wanting to know God but not quite sure how we can find him. And so my life just journeyed along and we moved from town to town and eventually um, um, my, I guess I need to give a little bit of background on my father because he had such an influence over our lives as children. Um, my father was... Um, uh, raised, um, and he uh, had an accident in a sawmill, lost four fingers off one hand and uh, avoided going to uh, serving in the army in World War II. And, uh, but he joined a lot of his friends. A lot of his friends at the time were alcoholics and they would just drink after work. And my father was one who was given to drinking all his income on alcohol and cigarettes. So. My father had a, a two-packet-a-day cigarette habit and 
he would come home drunk seven days a week. Um, and this went on for decades, you know, until uh, one day my mother had met somebody and she was praying. Um, this lady was praying for my mum and my mum found the Lord and my mum began to pray for my dad. And um, one day she caught her uh, dad before he got to the pub after work, you know, she rounded him up and said, mm -hmm. we're having a, uh, there's a special meeting at church and I really want you to come. You've got to come to this one, you know. So dad didn't have an opportunity to get drunk that day. You know? So he came from work quite sober, totally sober, and he sat in this little church hall in Pomona on the Sunshine Coast hinterland. And uh, that night, uh, he's, he remembers the trains not far from the railway lines there and there's uh, trains shunting past. And anyway, when the preacher got up to preach, my dad lost sight of the preacher that was speaking that night and he had a vision. He, saw, he said, all I saw, he told me, was the image of Jesus standing there throughout the whole sermon. And he thought that it must be a hallucination. So he must be, if it's hallucinating, I'll look away and look outside the window and, and sure enough, there's just a railway station there. Everything else was in its normal place, but this image of a vision of Jesus standing where the, the preacher was supposed to be standing. And as the preacher came to the end of that message, that the vision of Jesus dissipated and he could see the preacher again at the end of the meeting. And uh, he never became a Christian that night. He never uh, responded but had a deep, deep impact on his life. And um, uh, several years later, um, my dad being an alcoholic and a, uh, uh, unable to stop smoking 40, at least 40 cigarettes a day, um, he looked around, he told me, I looked around and all my old friends from the hotel had, most of them had died you know, from cirrhosis of the liver or in car wrecks where they've gone drink driving and crashed and killed themselves and most of his friends had died. And he, he thought to himself, oh, I keep going this way, I'm going to die too. And I have no doubt that would have been the case for Dad. So he went to church with um, uh, this church with Mum one day and what happened in his life was a massive transformation because... He went in as an alcoholic and a 40-cigarette-a-day smoker and he came out as a, a Christian converted wholly and solely. And from that day to the day he died, he never drank another glass of alcohol, never smoked another cigarette. Such was the depth of the conversion and the experience, the reality of that experience deep in his heart. And uh, so Dad uh, then started work on all of us, all the kids who <laughs> had, there's just this very nominal, we must go to church because we must go, <laughs> not because we had any personal relationship with God. But, um, you know, one by one, all the children, uh, all my brothers and sisters become Christian. And uh, I was the, the, uh, the renegade of the pack. I was... Even though I had this experience when I was six, there was, you know, there was something in me, and I held out to the very, very end. And they used to have meetings in our home, and I used to get pretty annoyed about that because I couldn't watch telly, you know. <laughs> so I'd uh, retreat into my room and just grumble, you know. <laughs> but, uh, 
these Christians coming into my house and depriving me of my television, you know. And um, anyway, uh, when I was 13, um, uh, my folks took me to uh, a meeting and um, the preachers there were, there was just something about the meeting. You know, there was probably four or 500 people. I went there at a time when the charismatic renewal was happening in the 70s. And, uh, and so I sort of looked around. I could see uh, Catholic nuns at this, you know, um, uh, this meeting. This wasn't a Roman Catholic church. This was a Protestant church. And, yeah, and there were people from all different denominations and different walks there gathering. And, and uh, there was something that was happening amongst uh, believing people at that time. But for me, uh, you know, I had, um, had this crazy thought that had it into my mind, which was sort of controlling the way I was thinking. And that was that, um, that at 13, I know it sounds stupid, but this is what I thought, was that this is, all these 500 people are here because it's a big scientific experiment. And that I am being used to see how gullible people can be, you know. Mm. And so I went there thinking, oh, I was just trying to see whether I believe this stuff, you know. And so it was, I'd obviously drifted a fair bit from my, my six-year-old person uh, to this state where, you know, I had uh, a lot of genuine doubt about it. Uh, but there was just something about the way that people were singing the songs, like they weren't just going through singing the songs, they were singing from their hearts, you know, deep within themselves. It was, there was a, a, a passion that was coming from them, you know, and I could see that, I could feel that, you know, and, and I was sitting in uh, a meeting one Sunday night and... Uh, all the people were around rejoicing and singing and then the preacher got up and started preaching. Nobody was touching me. I was like just a little person in a big crowd. And then all of a sudden something swept over my entire body. I felt, I know this isn't the experience for everyone, but this was my experience. So I was sitting in there, I could feel like a tingling from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And the whole of my body began to just tremble, but it wasn't a frightening tremble. It was a beautiful tremble. It was a beautiful sense of God's reality. And all the doubts that had flooded my mind were just swept away. And I thought, I feel right now that if I could, I could walk through air, you know. Mm -hmm. I could literally walk through the air into, into God's presence. And, and then it was like a... A revelation of of God's reality and love for me, and uh, that night I went out and I received prayer. You know, I, I said something's happening to me, and I can't explain it, but I, I didn't realise that. You know, it was the Holy Spirit was just flooding over my life. You know, and uh, so I received that prayer, but even still, I was still stubborn. You know, because I had friends, and they were very agnostic, uh, uh, maybe even atheistic. <laughs> I think um, someone once said that an atheist is just an agnostic who hasn't admitted that he's an agnostic, <laughs> 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 unwilling to admit he's an agnostic. Uh, and uh, But they certainly, uh, my friends, influenced um, 
I can remember one day they were all sitting around. Um, by this time we were about 17. And so we would go spear fishing, we would go surf skiing, we would go camping, you know, as young people do. And um, uh, I remember one night uh, we were sitting around and they were all smoking pot. And um, uh, I didn't smoke pot, but I, I did have one puff, but it didn't seem to appeal to me at all. It felt too much like smoking a cigarette. <laughs> But they, they said to me, Paul, you know, we don't believe in God. What's your thoughts on it? I mm. said, look, you guys could convince me to do anything, even just like this this marijuana you just put in my hand here. I had a puff on it. I said, you can convince me of anything, but one thing you can never convince me of, that there is no God mm. because I've experienced it, you know. I know it's real. I know he's real. And... uh that kind of shocked them, you know, because I thought that Paul, who goes along with everything, would have just acceded to their guidance on that, but I couldn't. I couldn't accede to it because I'd had this extraordinary experience and the reality of God, even though I hadn't followed in it, even though I hadn't walked in that walk, you know, but yet God had touched me and God was patient with me. Um, as I grew and as I went on, uh, I found, though, that my life decided, it just began to descend uh, lower and lower and lower, and my, things changed. I began to suffer extreme depression, and um, I think people who have ever suffered depression would understand how debilitating that is. It just takes the life out of you. It takes the hope out of you. You know, it takes the, the will to live out of you sometimes. And I just, my thoughts were just flooded with negative thinking that I will never be achieve anything, I'll never be loved, I'll never find somebody to, to spend my life with, I'll never have a family. And, and uh, so the depression was just like, you know, you could have cut it with a knife. In fact, when... My friends used to come over one by one. They stopped coming around because they could feel the heaviness that was around my life. And even my best friend, he said, Paul, I can't stand being with you anymore because of this, you know, because of the way you are. It's, it, and, and he stopped. So even my best friend bailed out on me. And so I was on my own. And um, and uh, so I was dealing with this depression, and with came depression uh, was isolation, and with isolation was uh, every manner of insecurity, uh, and then fear of man uh, started to fear even, and I become just fearful of of people, you know, to be around people, unless I really knew them, I didn't want to be around people because I just there was just this horrible fear. I started work in the building industry and the guys that uh, were around me were just, uh, they would swear and cuss and speak like, you know, uh, men. And I picked up this thing of swearing and cussing and I got to a stage where every second word that came out of my mouth was like the F word, you know, and it just become so habitual. But the funny thing is I hated it. I hated talking like that, but I couldn't stop talking like that. I didn't want to talk like that, but it was just sort of, it had a hold of me and I couldn't, I suppose it's like my dad's 
alcohol addiction and I had this kind of addiction to swearing and cussing. And um, uh, maybe I thought that it would make me a little bit tougher on the outside, but it didn't. Uh, I was still so totally insecure. And uh, so the guys that I used to work with at the time uh, had a habit of going down the pub after work, and here I am, I'm falling into my, my, my father's old traits. And so I'd join them there. And, but what I did find there was um, temporary relief from the insecurity and the depression and the isolation through uh, drunkenness. And so I'd drink myself, we would go down, and I literally spent my whole pay on alcohol, mm. you know. So I'd show up, start with one week with a full pay packet, and by the, come the next pay packet, it was all gone. I had not spent anything except on alcohol and, and partying. And so here we were, uh, sometimes going home at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, drink driving, you know, it's in the 70s, so... Uh, you know, there's how I was never picked up by the police, I'll never know. But that's what we used to do, just drink till the close of, and then get in our cars and drive home. And um, uh, so this went on for quite some time. And then um, so during the, the, um, the hotels that we visited, um, you know, there'd be dancing, there'd be live bands, there'd be music, and it would be just a little a few moments of escape in your life uh, from the deeper hidden issues. You know, it's not the sort of stuff that you share with your workmates. I didn't. You know, I just kept it within. But, you know, uh, I could see my life was going nowhere. And um, I certainly, um, uh, you know, wasn't doing anything that would produce a real future for yourself. And then uh, one night, as we were all we're at the height of the party, you know, it was like, you know, everyone was really rocking, you know. <laughs> you know, there was um, girls everywhere. There was my mates and I were all dancing and yahooing and carrying on this, in this temporary bubble that we created, you know. <laughs> and then um, uh, in the middle of that, uh, at the height of that moment, this voice came to me and spoke deep inside my heart, and I knew, that I knew it was God talking to me. He just said these simple words. He said, Paul, if you come to me, you'll find the love that you're seeking. And it was like being like hit with a ton of bricks. It was like it just, it, I, I couldn't say, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, party, I couldn't laugh, I couldn't joke, I couldn't drink because it hit to the very heart of what I needed. You know, it hit to the very heart of what was missing in me, you know, the deep, deep hurt that was inside my life. And um, so still touches my heart how good God is, <laughs> how good he is, you know, how loving he is. He waited for me all that time, of all the things that I'd done. He still loved me despite all the things that I'd failed and all the sins that I'd committed, and there's plenty of those. And he just waited patiently for that moment, and then that, that crucial moment he spoke those words. And then my friends saw me and they thought I was sick. They said, they come over and said, Paul, are you all right? You look, you look unwell. 
I said, no, I'm fine. I didn't tell them what, what had happened. I said, you know something, I'm going to go home now. And, uh, and, I, and I left, left early. And I went home and, and I determined that this was, had to be a turning point in my life. You know, God had spoken to me. God had touched me when I was 13. Now here I'm 23, and here he is again speaking to me another time. And so I said, you know something, I've got nothing to lose. You know, my life is empty. My life, I'm, 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 you know, I'm head, heading on a road to self-destruction here. So what have I got to lose, you know? So I, I uh, decided that I would start joining my brothers and sisters at church, you know? And so I went along to church and, um, <clears throat> you know, there was some, um, they said, oh, we've got a, a, a youth camp, a young people's camp coming up uh, three days over a long weekend, so why don't you come along? I said, well, yeah, okay, I'll come along. So I went along to that and... Um, uh, at, in the night service, there was all aged people there, you know, but during the day, it's more for younger people. And I was sitting there in the meeting and listening, and there was this little old lady sitting beside me, you know. And uh, anyway, towards the end of the meeting, the, whoever's preaching, I can't remember, he says, look, you know, some of you need to make a, a decision to, you know, to confess Jesus into your life, you know. Just make a declaration that this is who you want and who you're going to follow. And so as I'm sitting there, they said, just put your arm up. And I could feel my arm wanting to go up, but I didn't want to. They was still fighting me, you know. <laughs> There's still a battle inside. And, I, I, oh. and this little old lady turns over to me and says, young man, you need to go out to the front <laughs> like this. And I turned around and I said, you're right. <laughs> So I got up, and it was just that prompting of that little old lady. She just knew something. And I, I went out, and I, I, I confessed Jesus in a public way for the first time in my life, really. And then um, that whole camp for three days, I don't know why, I just go to the meeting, I just cry. I just weep and weep and weep and weep, you know. And I think what it was was it's like just God was just cleansing all the wounds in my heart, you know, and just washing away all the the rejection, washing away all the fear, you know, and it was uh, uh, at the end of the camp, I still had to face up to the real world. I had to come back to, well, I say the real world, the natural world that I'd lived in. And so I had to go back to work uh, where all my drinking buddies were and they uh, said at the end of the day, they said, Paul, you're coming to the pub? And I said, no, I don't think I need that anymore. You know, what? You know, it was a real shock. What do you mean? And I said, well, I just don't want to go, okay? You know, and this went on for a week or so. And because I felt a bit embarrassed, I've got to be honest, I'm ashamed to say that, but I, I felt embarrassed to tell these guys that I'd become a Christian, you know. And um, so uh, the guys, uh, they started to really drill down on me and find out what's going on with Paul, you know. He used to be such a good supporter of our drinking nights. And uh, so they said, what's going on here, Paul? And I said, well, look, let me be frank with you. I've, I've become a Christian. And they said, well, we could see something different about you. When you came back, 
couple of weeks ago, we could see a change in you. And I said, yeah, well, I just felt I, you know, that, that was what I needed in my life and, and, and that's the decision I made. And they said, oh, well, it won't last, you know. We'll give you a few months and you'll be back, you know, with the boys. And, uh, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, I was open game then, you know. I was like a sitting duck <laughs> for all their intimidation and humiliation, you know. So they'd come up and just taunt me over this uh, silly Christian faith that I'd sort of professed, you know. And so they really gave up, and particularly one guy in particular, uh, Colin, and he used to really lay it on thick. <laughs> but, you know, I think really now I look back at it, it was just a, they were just testing me to see how real this thing was. You know, I didn't realise at the time, but they were looking to see how real it was in me. And um, so eventually six months went by and this, this, this passing fad hadn't passed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one day after six months, Colin, the, the, the greatest teaser and the greatest stirrer of my Christian faith snuck up to me after everyone had left the room and he said, Paul, I want to say something to you. And he said, I said, what's that, Colin? He says, Paul, I want you to know that I actually really admire the decision. I can see what's, how your life's changed. Because, you know, by this time now, uh, my swearing and cussing was all gone. Mm. Uh, even after I came back from that camp, I, I, I still swore and cussed a little bit, but not anything like I used to. And then I just noticed after a month or so, I didn't swear or cuss at all. And um, uh, so, you know, m my life was changing and, and a funny thing happened to me. Um, you know, someone who was bound with inferiority, fear of man, just fear generally, and depression. Uh, but I was still struggling with the depression. Mm. And, um, but the fear thing uh, broke over me too because uh, these, all the young people in the church, they used to go down on the street corner in Fortitude Valley. Mm. And it's down on this corner of Ann Street and I can't remember the other street, and they were just uh, doing out, you know, an open air, just sharing their testimonies and thing. And I hadn't been there real long, you know, a uh, couple of months. And I said, "Oh, by the way, Paul, it's your night tonight." I said, "What do you mean, my night tonight?" <laughs> and they said, "Well, Paul, you're you're giving your testimony on the street corner tonight." And I said, "Really? <laughs> I don't know what to say." I said, "Just tell people what's happened to you. That's all." I said, oh, I suppose I can do that because I don't know enough about the Bible to really be able to, to share anything you know, like a sermon like the preachers preach, you know. So here I am, a man who has just been absolutely isolated and wanting to just stay in his room and not go out and, and certainly not speak to people. And here I'm standing on a street corner front of total strangers who are not even sympathetic, a lot of them, to the gospel or to the Christianity at all, uh, walking by and here I'm sharing my story of conversion and how God had brought me to this place of liberty in him, you know, from bondage out into liberty, you know, and the proof of the liberty was the fact that I was opening my mouth <laughs> in front of all those people, you know, and sharing and just saying it because there's no way that was possible for me 
six months earlier. There was no way that I could possibly do that six months earlier. That was the wonder of God in my life. It changed me from the inside in ways I didn't even understand. I, I can see it now, but I, I didn't even fully understand it at the time, how wonderfully it changed me. But there was still one big black dog in my life, and that was that black dog of depression. Mm. You know, and uh, as I was um, <laughs> going to church, and I, it wasn't as bad as it used to be, but it was, would just come on me, you know. It would just sweep over me now and then. I'd be somewhere, and then all of a sudden this this cloud would just hang over me, like you know, like a like a your own personalised storm cloud, basically. And uh, so this dark cloud would come over you and like a cloak and send you into this darkness for a while. And then I remembered we were singing this song at church and I, I, I think I heard somewhere where it was, it was actually a song from Scripture, you know, it was a, a promise from God in the Bible. I didn't know exactly where. But they used to sing this. They would sing, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of happiness. Lift up your hands to God. Praise in the spirit and with understanding. Oh, magnify the Lord. All you. And it goes on and on. But the opening line was the line. I thought, put on the praise, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. This is what I've got. My spirit is, is overwhelmed by this heaviness. And so I determined no one told me this. This is just me at home in another one of my black dog moments. So I said, I'm going to go into my bedroom and I'm going to start giving thanks to God for everything he has done. I mean, the black dog's here and I'm not giving thanks for him, but I'm going to give thanks for everything else. And so I started just, uh, I sang that song, I think, a couple of times and I, and uh, and I just thank God for you know the breaking of the fear and the hope for the future and the joy that it's quite often I would feel. And anyway, but you know I don't know how long I was in there. Probably maybe half an hour, an hour. Um, I'm not good at long stints, so I just get in there and give it whatever I've got and then go out. And when I come out of there, you know what? I didn't feel any better at all <laughs> than when I went in. I know you were expecting me to say, oh, you came out with glorious radiance and <laughs> rejoicing and joy. But no, I felt just as bad the very moment that I went in as when I came out. <laughs> so, but I never, <coughs> I never gave it, pardon me, I never gave it another thought. I'm just going to have a little sip here. Yeah. I never gave it another thought. Because I, I, I said, well, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so I, I went about my day. And then all of a sudden, about six hours later, this was in the morning I did that. Uh, and, and then uh, mid-afternoon, I was walking around the house and I said, hang on. And I feel depressed. I had a look around myself. I said, I don't feel depressed at all. In fact, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> No black dogs. No black dogs. No black. Where's that black that dog? That black dog is gone. <laughs> He'd been beaten off with a stick. <laughs> He's gone yelping up the street. <laughs> Find somewhere else to live. Well, he ain't living in my life anymore. And you know that that black dog, um, I guess, 
it, it never, like I used to get this regularly, 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 but not anymore. And then, but there was a couple of times where the black dog tried to come back and visit me, you know. He remembered me, I guess, and, and he tried to come back and I would speak to him and I'd say, hey, I've already dealt with you, you know. Like, you had me, you had my life for enough years already and you're not having any more and I'm not receiving you back into my life. If God set me free from you before, then he still set me free and even though you would come back knocking on my door, I'm not opening my door for you. And that's kind of how I spoke to it, you know. I said <laughs> it wasn't very biblical or scriptural, but it was still effective because it was a, a statement of faith. Mm. And I think God honoured that this little sense of faith, you know, that the black dog had to go and he had to stay away. So I hope that's an encouragement for anyone who suffers with depression, that uh, often it can be a spiritual uh, entity that's really tormenting your life and. Uh, I really have a lot of sympathy for people who suffer like that. And I certainly pray for people, uh, knowing that God is the answer to all our problems. In one form or another, he finds an answer for us. He'll find an answer for you too. And so my journey began there uh, in terms of my walk with God, you know, and I've just seen so many uh, amazing things, you know, uh, in my life as I've walk with the Lord, that was uh, my salvation experience, but the years that have followed that are, are just equally amazing as to how good God has been to me. And the things that I've seen, the miracles in people's lives, you know, it's, it's a wondrous life. It's a wondrous walk. It's a walk, um, if I could just share a little story, could I just recent, just even like give a small example, but you know, sometimes with God, we're, we're, um, uh, we've got our life and, and we want to give some of it to him, but not always all of it, you know. And God's been saying, hey, Paul, how about more of it and then all of it? And I said, okay, well, let's try more of it and then I'll go for all of it. <laughs> so, anyway, so um, you know, a week ago, I felt the Lord wake me in the night, you know. It was like a real sense of God wanting to just talk, you know. It wasn't, um, I was feeling really tired. And I said, I don't want to do this now, you know. So I pushed him away. And then uh, a day or two later, he woke me um, uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning. And and I knew it was the Lord just wanting, you know, some time of uh, communion or prayer. I said, I'm really tired. I don't want to, I don't want to get up. This time of night, can we just leave this? And pushed him away again. Anyway, the next day I got up and I thought, what have I done? You know, I mean, is there anything better? Is there anything more important, no matter how tired you're feeling, than to talking to the one who's just saved your life forever, eternity? And so I apologised to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm really sorry. I hope you won't. Um, turn your back on me and I, look if you ever come you're welcome in my house anytime you know that <laughs> if you I'd really like if you want to talk to me at two in the morning I'll make myself available I'll be obedient you know to your little prompting so anyway it's like um, I I, uh, I was just uh, had to drop my car into the garage and 
you know, they took all day on this darn thing to, to fix. <laughs> I'm sitting around, I've got no car, so down in Fortitude Valley and I thought I'll go to a cafe and have a coffee and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm drinking this coffee. And then uh, all of a sudden I, I started thinking about how wonderful the Holy Spirit is, you know, and how beautiful God is. I see this crowded cafe and the tears are just streaming down my cheeks. And I couldn't contain it because it's just, I didn't care because the presence and you know, the wonder of God in your life is just so wonderful. Just so wonderful. The joy and the beauty of God is so rich. And you think, how can you live your life with just a part of this? Why wouldn't you want all of it? You know, I'm thinking stuff like that. And I just praying to the Lord and just saying, thank you, Lord, for everything. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. People probably think I'm crying because of some tragic news in my life, but I was crying for joy. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I said, Lord, what do you want me to go and do now? <laughs> so anyway, I went and uh, my son worked around the corner. I went and saw him. And I won't share, but something wonderful happened in his office there, and I... I had opportunity there, and, and then after that was finished, I thought, oh, well, I'll go and get my hair cut, you know. <laughs> so I went to this barber I'd never been before, and then I saw the price, and I thought, well, I'm sorry I came in here. <laughs> it's, like, expensive. But anyway, I saw that I went in, and, and um, you know, I thought, well, I'm, I'm, my heart's just overflowing with the love and joy of God right now. And I just want to share that joy with somebody. I mean, you know, I've been a prisoner and I've been, you know, set free from that prison. Why wouldn't you want to share the good news? So I'll, maybe I'll share it with the barber. And it was a lady barber. And we got talking and we got sharing and eventually she just uh, came out and said, well, <laughs> said, uh, I just shared what I do, you know, that I, I, I uh, travel overseas and I love to share the, the gospel and my story and and help people where I can um, and she said well you know something I'm a Pentecostal Christian <laughs> she says to me I said really well I said well, I ain't got nothing to tell you that you don't already know <laughs> except I'm really glad for you you know that you you know the Lord Jesus uh, with all your heart and um, yeah she said well I'm looking for a church and I said well isn't that a coincidence? Because I know people. And, you know, um, uh, it's your wife, Rita, today, Alan, gave me the name of Christians not far from her. She says, you know, I'm Russian. And the names of the people that Rita gave me are the names of people that are Russian. Yeah, they have the same heritage and they don't live far from each other she's looking for church god sent me in for a haircut and really is just using me to point her in a direction to help her find and she's just up from sydney she doesn't know anybody so isn't that amazing you know, coming for a haircut next minute god's using you just to help someone a little bit along their way anyway i thought oh this has really been a great day you know two 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 wonderful con Tax, you know, Lord, and I think I was singing him. And I'm walking back, heading back towards um, back towards my car, and I'm walking down the street, and then I, I go past this young lady sitting on the ground uh, outside a cafe. Um, anyway, I I was just going to keep 
and she was a, a pretty young woman, you know. Uh, and I was walking, I was just going to go back to my car, and the Lord said, I want you to go over and talk to her. And I said, I don't want to. <laughs> and I said, do you understand, she's a pretty young woman, and I'm an old man. That's not going to look good. It's not a good look. And the Lord said to me, said, didn't you say that you would obey my promptings? I said, oh. I sighed. All right, I'll go over to her. I didn't want to, you know. I really didn't want to. Anyway, I went over to her and I, I felt awkward. What am I going to say to open the conversation here, you know? And she was just sitting on there on her own. And um, I said, look, you look a little bit lonely. I just want to come over and say hello, say good day, you know. And then she looked up at me and she smiled. And... The conversation just flowed beautifully with this young woman. She um, worked not far from there and she was waiting for a lunch, you know. And then she shared what she did and I shared what I do about going overseas and, um, you know, working in Central Africa and stuff like that. And, and it was a nice conversation, but it wasn't an impacting conversation. And so there's nothing wrong with that, but all of a sudden... It was like the Holy Spirit that had spoken to me in that hotel spoke to me again. And he said, Paul, do you remember where I spoke to you? And I said, yeah, Lord, just down the road here, two streets over. The hotel's only just two streets away from here. And then the Lord said, and uh, what did I say to you? He said, if I find you, if, that if I turn to you, that you'd, I'd find the love that, that I've been seeking. And then I turned to her and it's like I knew what to say to this young woman. And I said to her, she'd told me her name, I won't mention her name. Uh, and I said to her, uh, you know, I was about your age when I became a Christian, when I found God in such a real way, almost the same, about the same age. And I said, you know where it started? I said it started just two, in a hotel, two streets from here. And I shared, I said, you know, that night, you know, my life was filled with, with fear and loneliness and I used to mask it with alcohol. Yeah. And I said, and that night, God said to me, Paul, if you turn to me, then you will find the love that you're seeking. And I said to her, and I turn, and today the Lord is repeating those words to you. And what her name was? I want you to know that God really loves you, you know, really loves you. And her eyes, the tears just streamed down her face and she felt a little bit embarrassed. She said, I'm crying. I said, I know you're crying. I said, I was crying this morning, you know, because the presence of God is here, you know, it's caring about your life. And just at that time, the moment was spoilt by the <laughs> coffee people who brought a lunch out. And it was kind of like, oh, this is the end of the conversation time. And, um, but, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit really spoke to that young woman in such a loving way. And I know he loves her. Yes, and I believe she's called. I believe God's calling her to himself. And he'll send somebody else probably to, to speak to her as well. But then I got all the way back to the, my one and a half kilometres away. I walked back to the thing and I got back and there was something really irritating me. I just felt as though I'd 
left something out there. I'm not sure if you've ever had that feeling, Alan, but I did. And I said, I've missed the mark here. I haven't, I, I got part of the job done, but I didn't finish it. Not so that I had to lead her to the Lord or anything entirely, maybe, but there was still something missing. I said, well, what did you want to say to this dear woman? And I was just, I grabbed a pen and paper and I just wrote down and I was, oh. So what it was, uh, dear so-and-so, um, yeah, i just um, praying that your life, you'll find the joy and peace and fulfilment that my life has felt. And I'm going to personalise this verse for you. It's John 3.16, you know. For God so loved you that, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for you. That when you believe, her name in there, when you believe upon him, you shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. I said, when you're ready, say the simple prayer. God, I want you in my life. And I open my heart and I invite Jesus to come in. And it's something as simple as that. Just a simple invitation to invite Jesus to come in. My heart is open. Jesus, please come into my life. I said, when you do that, her name, your life will never be the same again. And that was the end. And I said, well, Lord, this is a bit awkward because, you know, I've got a trait back there. And you know how fit I am, not? <laughs> so this is like four and a half kilometres now. <laughs> anyway, I pedalled back with my little note. <laughs> I said, I was praying on the way, and I said, God, if, if you want me to find this young person, then you're going to have to show me where she is because she didn't actually tell me where she was working. I know it was in this general area. So anyway, it was like I walked down the street to that cafe and said, we'll start here. She did sort of indicate down that street there somewhere. So anyway, I walked down right down past where I thought. I uh, couldn't see. And then there's a T intersection, so I veered right, did a right-hand, sharp right-hand turn. And then I walked there and I looked to my right and there's this building. And I thought, hmm, that could be the one. It looks like that's the kind of workplace that she'd be in. So I walked through the front door and here she is behind the counter. <laughs> yeah. And I just, there was three receptionists and I didn't want to embarrass her, mm. you know. And I said, look, I just felt that I had something extra I was supposed to say to you. And it's all in this little note here. And so when you get time, when you get home tonight, you can open up and have a read of it, you know. And then I left the note and I said, have a great day. And I signed off there, and that was it. Yeah. Remarkable in itself that you found it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, she could have been up in the high rise. She could have been up on level nine or something, but she was on ground floor in this um, this builder in this workplace. Yeah. Uh, so it was um, that was a real God incident. That one. It was a God uh, a meeting. You know, and he's. He took me all that way because he cared about that one person so much, you know. And um, uh, he cared about, and you know, I remember reading uh, one of the famous old, lovely old men of God who once said, you know, if you, if you can love one, you can love some. 
And if you can love some, you can love many. And if you can love many, you can love all. And I thought, you know, it starts with loving one. You know, and you are the most important one. Yeah, each one of us. That's a wonderful thing about God. You know, he makes us feel as though we're the most important one to him. He has the ability to make us feel so very, very special. And you know why? Because in his eyes, you are so very, very special. You're not a waste. You're not refuse. You're special to God. You're a special person. You're unique in all your ways. There shall never be another one like you before you. There shall never be another one like you after you. And that's why God loves you so much. Anyway. I believe that. Mm. I absolutely believe that. Mm. I know it as well. Yeah. I mean, I've got a lot of stories I could tell. But I'm just not sure how many <laughs> your listeners can bear to hear. <laughs> but, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're wonderful. You know, uh, this is not... Um, the wonders of Paul, this is the wonders of God because, you know, in ourselves we couldn't do anything but, but you know, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me just how amazing God is and his ability to just do beautiful things. You know, we, people often look for the, the, the big powerful things and that's wonderful too. I, I love all that stuff. But, you know, just the simple beautiful things like you know, how the Lord will just reach out to one precious soul and, and touch that life and, and bring dear, you know, just touch a heart so deeply that they can't contain their tears. And that was like uh, tears of oh, beauty to me, you know. Just, as, you know, and I... Uh, I know that um, the Lord is, is, you know, he's, he's moving wonderfully through many different lives in this time. And, you know, we live in a world where there's just so much bleakness and so much darkness and, you know, just, just so many uh, things that are, are terrible. But, you know, we don't have to live in fear. We can live in confidence because... God lives in us and he's with us, you know, and he's with us right to the end of our life. And, you know, even when we pass from this body, you know, this body's only temporary. It's not even like dying. It's just like changing uh, from one room to the next. <laughs> you just walk out of this old house into the new house. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not in any hurry to do that one because I just think there's a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff you want to do while you're here. Uh, but, you know, life is so full and so wonderful. And I just, um, you know, I, I just encourage you, you know, encourage every person to, to say, you know, fill my life with, with all of this, you know, the, the, the wonder of God and the love of God and the beauty of God. And your life just becomes overflowing you know, it's like a bouquet of roses that just keep pouring out over. It's just someone's over-ordered. Somebody has put in an order for two dozen and they've delivered 200 dozen. You know, the abundance and the overflow of God's goodness towards us. <laughs> if we want one or ten, he gives, sends you a hundred or a thousand, <laughs> you know, in kindness and love and, and uh, just his overwhelming 
blessing upon your life and the joy that fills your heart. doesn't mean your life hasn't got tough times that you face from time to time. Uh, that's for sure. But, you know, when, when, you, when you've been blessed to overwhelming and the tough times are there, they don't seem that tough. <laughs> you kind of, you know, what, what, what are you talking about tough? I mean, you're talking, looking at a guy who was in the, you know, the dark pit of depression for years and years, you know. So when depression comes along, or not that it does to me much at all, in fact, for decades now, you know, these things, uh, you just sort of look at them and say it's just so trivial, you know. It's so immaterial. Uh, I mean, if someone's going through something, of course you have empathy towards them, you, you care for them and, and you pray for them, but, you know, uh, what we've got compared to what we face is two different things. And I'll probably reflect on that point you made about when you were an adolescent and you were challenged, well, you know, what, what about God? And you say, no, for sure, I believe in that. Mm. So even though you know, there's been struggles and different stories and more stories, I'm sure that you know absolutely that despite all that, for the benefit of the listeners, that, that's, that's the point. God is real and God is the truth. And this is another truthful story that, that you've given us today, Paul. Absolutely the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you know, I look at, I was thinking the other day, you know, like the truth of God's reality is more true than the world that we live in. Mm. You know, I was thinking, you know, I can remember back uh, even a week ago, you know, places I've been and places people I've seen and, and those places are gone. You know, this world is just temporary. You know, every day is, it just passes by, it's gone. But God is with us forever, you know, and he's in us forever. And every day you can experience the joy of your salvation. It speaks about it in the Bible. It's not theological, it's reality. It's a reality. It's yeah. a reality, the joy of your a lot of folk go around life thinking, you know, or religious kind of folk that really have had a total proper understanding of, of just who God is, thinking that, you know, you've got to go through life a miserable believer. <laughs> well, I feel sorry for them people <laughs> because the opposite is the truth. Truth. You know, the, the truth is that God brings a joy of your salvation into your heart and a joy of living a joy of life, a joy of knowing God, a joy of, of being in his presence, you know. And, you know, it's, it's not as though that God wants to, that God wants to lord it over you. You know, he is God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, but he's, he's our father, but he's also our friend. And the time comes those special times where the Holy Spirit just wants to sit down with you and say, Paul, there you going? And I say, Holy Spirit, you know what happens to me when every time you get too close to me, my eyes well up with tears <laughs> for joy, wonderful joy. <laughs> You're the most awesome friend. <laughs> you know, God is the most awesome friend that you will ever have in this life. You'll have some good friends perhaps, but no one like him. No one comes even close, even, even the closest of the close. As wonderful as they are and as beautiful as they are, he is still far, far, far beyond even that. And so, um, yeah, uh, 
As you can see, all my eyes are filled up with tears again. <laughs> I can't help it because um, there's something that's overwhelming. The truth continues to touch your life and yeah. touches mine as well. Yeah, some people call it emotionalism. Yeah. I tell you, it's not emotionalism. I know what emotion's all about. But this is just wonderful beauty, you know, a beauty that is beyond uh, words and description. And um, uh, it's joy unspeakable, mm. unspeakable joy. So that's, uh, that's my message. And, and he's such a God that, and I'm reflecting on probably one short snippet from some psalm that says, he knows you're rising up, he knows you're sitting down. Mm. He knows you're waking, he knows you're sleeping. He knows if you go to the far side of the sea, to a distant land, he's there. Mm. If you go to the heavens, he is there. If you go to the pit of the earth. Yes. So, and, you know, to, to summarise, uh, not your words, but the words of many who have the experience that you've had, is that God walks with us mm. in all the situations of our life, and he is actually there. He is. He is totally, totally reliable. You know, sometimes, you know, in my life I haven't trusted him as much as I should have, you know. And the Lord wanted me to trust him. And how to trust him, things would have turned out far better than they did. Uh, but he's patient. God is so wonderfully patient too. Even He knows already the limit of my trust for him. And uh, that trust grows day by day now. For many years, uh, I tried to do things in my own strength, even though I knew him. I, I, I thought, I know better than now. I think you're wrong about this, Lord. <laughs> How arrogant of me. <laughs> and you know something? Uh, uh, it's much smarter than I was. <laughs> so it turns as it out, turns out. As, as it, it turns out, with the wisdom of hindsight, oops, <laughs> he was right after all, and he's always been right, you know. Uh, it was a, a little story just popped in my mind of years ago in business, you know, I was running business and uh, we're doing this deal, and it was like this. We had to hand over a big check. And right at the, and as a deal we really wanted and a deal we needed, you know, but we had to uh, invest in, in this project. And so we had this big bank check sitting there. And you know what the Lord said to me? <laughs> he said, you'll never see that money again. And it was a lot of money. And you know something? He was right. <laughs> it grew wings. It grew, it grew wings and flew away. We never That's saw it, it again. Never saw it. <laughs> But he told me before I handed it over. <laughs> would I would I listen to him? No. <laughs> uh, it was all part of the education, though, Alan. You know, God. You know, some like three. Some of your biggest failures. Some of your best education. You know, and God doesn't want to keep you. You, you keep failing. He wants you to learn, sure. learn from your mistakes, and 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 then just come to a place. How wonderful when you can get into a deep, deep place of trusting God. I think someone once said, faith is limited by the amount you can trust God. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, our faith is limited by how much we can trust God. And when we can trust him all the way, then we can experience great faith. Yeah. 
Yeah, and thanks for sharing with us, Paul. Sensational, at least some stories mm. uh, of your life since the time that you know you you went to school and, and even before that, all the way up to now. It is a testimony of yeah. the God, the God that we know, the one true God, mm. God Amen. of truth, God of love. God is also quite gracious and understanding. Mm. He is. I think, you know, I've also learned something from today mm. that, that's open for all of us. We, we all need to, to come humbly back to him consistently. Yes, yes. Because yeah. he, he does actually know best, even though, <laughs> you know, we have yeah. a tendency to argue or, or be stubborn in our ways. Mm. Yeah. So I, I appreciate your openness, Paul. Mm. No, it's, it's been a... Uh, pleasure. I, like I said, there's there's so many amazing stories I could share, but I think perhaps these are the ones that for today are the important ones. And mm-hmm. hopefully, you'll, some of your listeners will identify with some of the struggles in their own life and see that there is a, a a pure and a genuine and a powerful answer for their life available, and it's rooted and grounded in the love of God towards them, and His power will come. Uh, and he will change their lives. Yeah, and I think that you know, and that and that's a good way, you know, to wrap this up. Is that we're not trying to convince anyone by a clever argument, or mm. amazing single experience. Um, yes, we are sharing our lives, but we know that God is the one that touches lives and converts lives. Mm. It's Him. And the power of the Holy Spirit. So, yes, we share what we know. We share the truth that we've we felt and that we lived through and are living through. Mm. And I think we have mm. the we can agree on this as well that together we trust that the Lord we know and the God that we know was is able to touch people's lives, mm. and He is the only one to touch people's lives. In reality, yes, and we're doing our bit. That's right. To share to share a story. Mm. Amen. We, we again appreciate your time, Paul, and we'll, we'll end the session here. Yeah. That was a great it. privilege. Great to hear that. And thank you for joining us. This podcast is not sponsored by any group or organisation and does not seek or promote endorsements. Our motivation is simply inspiration, that you may be inspired by the spirit of the one true God, to know that the objective and narrative coexist, that the spiritual and physical are not separated, to increase in understanding and to walk in his way. Put my trust in you Those seas may roll I'll put my trust in you